We have much to be grateful for. Uh, we decided that Terrence would talk about the year that was, and I would talk a bit about the year that, that will be. Uh, we started off the beginning of the church program here this last fall, the beginning of the, of the uh, church year, the school year, with a sermon series called, Hey, How Are You Doing? Uh, the series wasn't my idea. I, my intent was in the fall to encourage people to re-engage with worship groups and serving the three primary venues for connection and discipleship, worship groups and serving. And one of our staff members said, you do that every year. And I, I, I said, yeah, well, because every year, those are the big three important things. She said, well, this year feels different, she said. People aren't quite themselves. We spent almost two years of pandemic and racial tension and political polarization. People are volatile. We need to let the gospel speak to what people are actually feeling and experiencing right now. And so we designed this series in the fall, program year beginning, to be kind of a gut check. Let's check in with each other at the beginning of a program year. How are you doing? How are you doing really? And the honest answer was that we were angry and anxious. And it's not all related to the pandemic. A fair amount of research shows that in the United States, anger levels have been slowly increasing for two decades, and the pandemic has just accelerated that. Anxiety levels have been slowly increasing in the United States for two decades, and the pandemic accelerated that. So I want to ask you now here at the end of the program year the same question, how are you doing? How are you doing really? Are you less anxious than you were one year ago? Are you less angry than you were one year ago? Or has our list of things to be angry and anxious about only grown in recent months to include mass shootings, out-of-control inflation, and heated debates on gun control and abortion? What is our hope? What or who can bridge these divides that exist today? Some of you are still holding out hope that government will solve the problems of this world. I'm not there. I respect government and believe government has a role to play, but government, no, no matter how well-meaning, cannot fix the brokenness of our world. Maybe you're trusting in technology or private industry to solve things. Uh, that's not where I am. I think technology can, can do a lot to make the world a better place, but it cannot stop hatred. It cannot bridge divides. It cannot reconcile division. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior. Our hope is in Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, and in his body, the church. Now, when I say the word church, I am not talking about an institution. I'm not talking about a building. I'm referring to people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and are doing the will of the Heavenly Father. That's the church. I'm talking about a community of love centered on the person and teaching of Jesus. I'm talking about the church as Jesus envisioned it, an unstoppable force for good in this world against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. The church is people, and the church stewards the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ against which hatred cannot stand. 
I heard someone say one time that that there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. And man, that's true. When the church is working right, it is a beauty to behold. The poor get served and the marginalized get included and hope levels rise and divided people come together. There is nothing like the church, the local church, when the local church is working right. But then the opposite is also true. There's nothing like the church when the church is working wrong. It's a horror to behold. Dallas Willard wrote, wrote, spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. So how do we make sure that our spirituality is rightly understood and rightly pursued? And this next year, we're going to learn from the earliest Christian community in history. Starting in the fall on Sunday morning, we're going to work through the New Testament book of Acts. And I'm really excited about this. This is the fall. We have a different preaching plan for the summertime. We'll be in the book of Ephesians and some other things. But starting on launch Sunday, on grand opening Sunday, will be for the better part of the year in the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts is one of my favorite books in all the Bible. It records the birth, the growth, and the expansion of the church. And I think every church in the world should come back to the book of Acts every now and again as kind of a vision check. How how do our values and our practices and our priorities compare to the earliest Christian community? Because sometimes we can get so busy, so caught up in what a church does that we forget what a church is. The book of Acts records what the church looked like before it had buildings or employees. We read about the very first church being formed and the very first churches being formed out of that church. We will see in the book of Acts the church go multi-site in the first century. Acts is the story of the humble beginnings of this new community centered on Jesus Christ, which grew to become a global movement. Consider the environment into which the very first church started. First century living conditions were horrible. Most people were poor. 95% of people in that day couldn't read or write. Many of them were slaves. They would never be free. Uh, Many of them were lame or sick. They had no medicines. Plagues would come through and would kill up to a third of a city's population. Life expectancy was only about 30 years old in the time of Jesus. Now, part of that is due to high infant mortality rates. Take that out. If you survive to age five, your life expectancy might soar to the age of 45. Jews in Jerusalem had at least three political parties that couldn't be more different, and the only thing they were united on politically was their hatred for their Roman occupiers. There was a lot to be angry and anxious about in the first century. The existence of the church itself is surprising. When Jewish authorities called for the crucifixion of Jesus, they assumed the death of Jesus would be the death of the movement. And that's how it usually works. Take the leader out and everything stops. And for a while, it looked like that's what happened. Remember, the author of Acts is Luke, the same writer of the gospel uh, narrative. And so we read in Luke's gospel, we know what happened after Jesus died on the cross. His followers became disillusioned and fearful. They disbanded and they scattered. Some of the followers went back to Galilee and started fishing again. 
When Jesus died, their hope died, their vision died, their will died. It was over, it was finished, it was D-O-N-E, done, and that should have been the end of the story. But then something happened. As a matter of historical record, the followers of Jesus regrouped and re-energized. They became convinced that Jesus, their friend, their leader, had risen from the dead and that he had met with them and ate with them and talked with them and, and, and commissioned them to carry on his work to share and teach and heal. They lost their fear and became courageous. They re-energized around the mission of Jesus. They shared the good news. They served the poor. They included the outcast. They cared for the widows and the orphans. Seemingly overnight, this new community sprung into existence that included people of different political persuasions, different socioeconomic backgrounds and different ethnicities and the only thing they had in common was Jesus and there had never been a community like that on planet earth before. Listen to one of the snapshots from the book of Acts. We'll, we'll look at these over the course of a year but here's one example from Acts chapter 4 verse 32 and let's do a group lead moment this morning if you wouldn't mind let's read this passage aloud together Acts chapter 4 verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Right? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wasn't going to say this is the word of the Lord, but you all stood up, so I felt like I should follow through on our tradition. Right, this snapshot, they were unified, loving, generous, resurrection proclaiming, and as we read, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. And the question is, could a church like that exist today? We're banking on it. All these little snapshots in the book of Acts that we'll explore next year, they describe the church that we want to be in the 21st century. By looking at the story of the church next year, we will rediscover our roots. That's our first thing. We're going to rediscover our roots. Secondly, we will also re-examine our obstacles. The early church experienced persecution from outside and conflict from inside. First of all, persecution from the outside. First, there were laws that were passed in the first century to discourage people from becoming Christians. Christians were not eligible for public uh, support, for, for governmental assistance. And so that's why Christians very early on began their own collections and their own service of the widows and the orphans. Persecution later became more physical and included imprisonment, beatings, and uh, executions. Uh, that all came from the outside, and we're going to see all that in the book of Acts this year. And then there was conflict from within, and we'll see this over the course of the year. Sometimes the conflict was over roles. Uh, what should elders actually be doing and what structure best sh uh, should be used in the church? Sometimes it was over traditions. Should non-Jewish people who want to follow Jesus follow all the customs of the Jewish people? Sometimes the conflict was over race and ethnicity, sometimes over strategy, and this conflict didn't come from outsiders, it came from insiders. What do you think is more dangerous to a church? 
Is it persecution from outside or is it conflict that is inside? Conflict, thank you. No, I don't think it's conflict. No, yes, it's uh, <laughs> conflict is always more dangerous on the inside. You could build a case biblically and historically that persecution has never harmed the church but only fueled its expansion. The early church had lots of conflict from inside, but they handled conflict in such a way that instead of leading to division, it, it, it fostered community. They learned to live together as fallible people, and we are going to learn that too. It's going to happen next year. We will rediscover our roots. We will re-examine our obstacles. And thirdly, we will re-engage the Holy Spirit. The title of the book of the Bible we'll be studying next year, given long after the book was written, is The Acts of the Apostles. And many commentators have said it would better be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I agree. The prominent significant fact of their day for the writers of the New Testament, for Luke, for Paul, for the others, the prominent fact is this. The Holy Spirit is now present and active among human beings. It's a game changer. The Holy Spirit is the most prominent character in the book of Acts. And we're going to re-engage with the Holy Spirit, not just in our theology, but in our lives and in our practice. The book of Acts uses these phrases that we'll get to in turn, phrases like baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And can you be partially filled with the Holy Spirit? And what are the signs of the Holy Spirit? What about speaking in tongues? What about those other real dramatic and even controversial uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit? I have put all of those questions into this series and assigned them all to Terrence, <laughs> who will do a great job with them. Can't wait to see what Holy Spirit props he uses to teach that. We're going to pray for people to get healed by the Spirit. And more than that, we will become Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered people. It can be so. Acts is a longer book of the Bible. It's 28 chapters long, but it's divided into three clear sections, and we'll take each section in turn next year. Kind of unusual to spend the whole year in one book of the Bible. We usually move around a little more, but this is going to be fantastic. Uh, we're going to cover section one this fall, chapters one through seven, and we're producing a video-based curriculum, nine-session video-based curriculum for groups to use in tandem with the sermon series, and it's about the start and the foundations of the church, and and this is the series that will launch a new campus in Farmington Hills. Then we'll break for Advent and Christmas, and then we'll come back to the book of Acts and look at kind of section two, where we see the church move out from their own city to have a regional influence, and we'll see the role that persecution played then and the role that persecution plays now. And then we'll break for Easter, and then we'll move back to the third and final section of the book of Acts, where we'll see the church go global. Now, I don't usually pick a theme for the year. That's not my style, or even a theme for the preaching year. Uh, I try to be comprehensive and in, include a variety of, of passages and topics so that we're a well-balanced menu here in the course of a year. But if I had to pick a theme for this year, this is the year of the church, or maybe the year of the prevailing church. We're going to launch a brand new campus in Farmington Hills, and all of us are going to root ourselves in the biblical story to rediscover the beauty and the power of a local church, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the world. 
with the New Testament book of Acts as our guide, we will rediscover our roots, we will re-examine our obstacles, and we will re-engage the Holy Spirit. And friends, our world needs church people to rediscover, re-examine, and re-engage. By doing so, we will be the body of Christ to each other and to our world. Would you stand and pray with me? Well, God, we long to be the church that Jesus envisioned, a force for good against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. Teach us, lead us, shape us, that we may represent you accurately, without pretense or fear, in an ever-changing world. As another church program year draws to a close, we acknowledge your faithfulness through the generations and your faithfulness to us now. We look forward to what you will do in us and through us in the months and years to come. This we pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord and the whole church said together, Amen. Amen. Receive now this benediction, and please remember to be praying through our building. We're about to welcome a thousand guests next week, and we want the whole, uh, everything covered in prayer this week. But until then, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and turn his countenance toward you. May the Lord give you grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.